Let's pray. Father, we need to hear from you at a time like this. Human words are precious, but your word is life. So come, help me to be faithful to your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. When Jesus was on the earth for those 33 years, he raised four people from the dead. He raised the son of the widow at Nain, Luke 7. He raised Jairus' daughter, the ruler of the synagogue, 12 years old. He raised Lazarus from the dead, the brother of Mary and Martha, who'd been dead four days. And he raised himself from the dead. Now, the Bible says very clearly that God raised Jesus from the dead. His father raised him from the dead. Romans 6, 4, Acts 2, 32. It is also true that Jesus was acting to bring this about. And we know this from John 10, 18, where Jesus said this. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. The Father gave Jesus the authority to raise from the dead whom he will. Listen to John 5, 21. The Father raises the dead and gives them life. The Father raises the dead and gives them life. So also the Son gives life to whom he will, for the Father has given him judgment. So the Son has authority to raise anybody from the dead that he pleases, including himself. And therefore... Before you remember, he said, John 2, when he was casting out the thieves from the temple, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. <laughs> and they all said, took 47 years to build this temple. You can erase this in 47 years? And, and John comments, he was speaking about the temple of his body. So I've no doubt in my mind, Jesus raised four people from the dead, not just three. And the question is, why does that matter? Why does it matter to draw attention to the fact that Jesus raised Jesus from the dead? It matters because the scorpion sting of John Levy's death would not have been helped in the least by the raising of Lazarus from the dead or the raising of the widow's son from the dead or the raising of the 12-year-old Jairus' daughter from the dead had not Jesus raised Jesus from the dead. 
when he raised Lazarus from the dead, the scorpion sting of John Levy's death was not removed. When he raised the widow's son, the scorpion sting of your death, his death, was not removed. It would have done John Levy no good whatsoever had Jesus gone about just randomly raising people from the dead and then himself lay in the grave forever. Why is that? Why is the resurrection of Jesus by Jesus John Levy's only hope? It's not because that resurrection was one of a kind, which it was, <laughs> the eternal, divine Son of God, with the authority of God, raising himself from the dead, that's one of a kind. Never happened before. Hasn't happened since, never will happen again. It did everything it needed to do. Doesn't need to be repeated. That's not why it made all the difference for John Levy. The reason that one of a kind resurrection of Jesus by Jesus made all the difference is because it, it followed and vindicated a one-of-a-kind death, his own. Here's what God says. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives John Levy the victory through Jesus Christ. Death was not swallowed up in victory by the resurrection of Lazarus. It was swallowed up in victory by the resurrection of Jesus, who raised himself from the dead with the authority of the Father to vindicate a one-of-a-kind death. So the question is, what's the connection? How, how did that happen? How did this one-of-a-kind resurrection validate this one-of-a-kind death so that together this man will rise. Sinner though he be. How did that work? Paul lays it out. The apostle lays it out. Oh, death, where is your sting? In other words, the scorpion, venomous, destructive, eternity-ruining, damning sting of, sin, of, of death is, is gone. 
He says, where is it? Oh, death, where is your sting? Where is it? It's gone. The scorpion sting of John Levy's death is gone. How can that be? The text goes on. The sting of death is sin. The scorpion sting of death is sin. What makes death eternally destructive, damning, not, not beasting like, oh, I need a little mud here. No, 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 no. This is scorpion. This kills. This doesn't annoy. What makes this death a scorpion sting is sin. The sting of death is sin. <laughs> and the wages of sin is death over against eternal life. Romans 6.23. And all of us, not a person in this room is exempt, preachers included, have sinned. Now, that scares everyone, or ought to, because deep down, you know it's true. All of us know it's true, that we are guilty before a good, holy, righteous, just God. We're guilty. You may not even know those words like holy, what's that? Or that's what you say before buckets or mackerel. Whether you use the words or not, you know. When, you're, when your heart is speaking to you, when you're not numbing it with work or play or food or drugs, your heart tells you the truth. Death is a sting, and it's a scorpion sting, not a bee sting. It's deadly, it's damning, it's never-ending. So the word goes on. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. God's law. What does that mean? It means that this sting is warranted by the law of God. It's not random. It's not like, oh, death experienced a random mutation here and the sting just went haywire and now we, we're made miserable by it forever. That's not what's going on here. It's not what he says. He says the power of sin with its scorpion-like effect forever, the power of that, the authority of that, the justice of that is the law. This is punishment, not mutation. Death has a sting, it lasts forever, and it is shown to be just, true, right, good, holy, because the law of God prescribes a sentence for sin. And it's God's sentence. The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is God's just and holy law. 
Now, all of that scary stuff, terrifying reality, all of that is leading up to the discovery of what it means that Jesus died a one-of-a-kind death that turned his resurrection into salvation for John Levy and a hope for you. Paul goes on like this. Oh, death, where is your sting? Gone? How? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory, who gives John Levy the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, if, if sin is an eternal scorpion-like sting that results in eternal poison and and John Levy sinned every day of his life. And you have. And the law of God warrants and makes just and righteous and powerful the sentence on us. What's the hope? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus came into the world, he came from an eternity of unity with God the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with, with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So here is a God-man, a, a God who clothed himself with human flesh, and he lived 33 years and never sinned. Which one of you convicts me of sin? No answer. Why? Because he was tested in every point like we are yet without sin. So here's the one man in all of history who did not deserve to die. And the only one. So why did he die? Answer. His father sent him to die. That's why he died. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believed would not perish but have eternal life. How could that be? And the answer to that question, how can that be? How can the death of the God-man who never sinned, never deserved to die, how can that death give John Levy eternal life? It's the best news in all the world. We will never grow tired of singing this news.
Listen to the sweetest of all words. This is Romans 5. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, scarcely for a righteous man will one die, but perhaps for a good man one might dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. <laughs> you have got to be kidding me. Peter put it like this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He, sinless, bore our sins, John Levy's sins, in his body on the tree. Or even more amazing, here's Isaiah, 700 years before it happened, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole, and by his stripes we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, every one of us, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us. Oh, this is the greatest news that a sinner could ever hear. It was the most amazing exchange that has ever happened. One more expression of it. This is 2 Corinthians 5. God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we in him might become the righteousness of God. What about the law? Well, whatever happened to the law? I mean, you said the law prescribed a sentence just holy prescribed, mandated a sentence of scorpion-like misery forever. You, just, you said that. So you, you can't just sweep the law of God under the rug of the universe in respect to John Levy because you like him. Listen to Romans 8, 3. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, God condemned, there's the sentence, there's the sentence of the law, God condemned sin in the flesh. 
sin was executed with an appropriate punishment condemned in the flesh. Whose flesh? Jesus. Whose sin? John's. Therefore, chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. I wonder why he liked that song. Like sinners love that song. If they see it, if they see the glory, no condemnation now I dread Jesus and all in him is mine. So that one-of-a-kind death that Jesus died did what he intended it to do. And when he rose from the dead, it's as though he rode across the sky with his own blood. It is finished. That worked. It's done. It counts. It's valid. It's real. It's true. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. And I paid the law's debt for you, John Levy. So sing on. Tim, Carol, Melanie, Johnny, what happened last Tuesday? wasn't condemnation. It was not the settling of accounts. I'll settle accounts now. Those accounts were settled 2,000 years ago. So if you ask me, well, what was it? Because you're feeling this, Tim, I can tell. What was it? For reasons that we don't know, last Tuesday, Jesus said, I want John Levy. This will be painful. Very painful. But I love him. I died to have him. I love you. And I know what I'm doing. Trust me. He said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet will he live. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet will he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He said to Martha. Do you believe this? And maybe you can picture him standing here saying, do you believe this? Suppose someone says, I would believe this if I saw right now that man right there, John Levy, sit up. Step out of that casket. Big smile on his face, say, let's go eat. 
I believe. Let's do Lazarus again here. I would believe. You know what my response is to that? I don't think so. I don't think you would. Because in your present rebellious state, you don't know what belief is. You think you would believe. Here's what Jesus said to a man who said, just send one from the grave back to the family, back to the people in my network, and they'll believe. And here's what Jesus said to him. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, in other words, if they don't see enough truth and beauty and glory in the word of God about the supreme truth and beauty and reality of Jesus, if they don't see that, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Let me close with a picture of this. It's an amazing fact. A few days after Lazarus was raised, all right, can't tell how many, about between up to six days. You can read about it in chapter 12 of John. A few days after Lazarus was raised, Jesus and the disciples went back to Bethany and had dinner with him. You'll remember the story. They had dinner. Here's a man sitting across from the disciples and Jesus who was dead four days a few days ago and now he's alive and eating with them. And in that dinner, Mary takes a little canister of very expensive ointment and she opens it and she pours it on Jesus' feet. All of it. And she takes her hair and she wipes his feet. This is what faith looks like. This is what believing looks like. It's, it's I love you. I thank you. You are magnificent. I'll waste anything on you. I can't get enough of you. That's what faith is and Judas was there and he had seen it all he saw the resurrection of the widow's son he saw the resurrection of the 12 year old girl he saw the resurrection of Lazarus he saw the casting out of demons he saw the raising of the wind and the waves and Silence and flat they go. He saw the multiplying of the loaves and the fishes. And you know what he said to Mary? Why did you waste this? We could have sold this and had $300. Here's what John said about Judas at that moment. He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief 
and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself. From all the gifts that were given to Jesus, to the advancement of his ministry, Judas walking around, pretending to be a disciple, just pulling money out of the bag. And Jesus said, leave her alone. So here's my conclusion. If you, if you say, this man sits up right now, which he could do, just, just like that, he'd sit up. Jesus said, sit up. If this man sat up right now, stepped out of that casket, walked down this aisle, you would not believe if you are in rebellion against God. Because saving faith is not being wowed at miracles. The devil believes in the resurrection of the dead. He knows he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire. He believed Jesus did every miracle that he did, and he hates him. The problem with Judas was not that he didn't have evidence. The problem was he loved money, period. If you don't believe right now, it isn't because you don't have sufficient evidence that Jesus is true, Jesus is glorious, Jesus is beautiful, Jesus is infinitely valuable. You don't have, it's not because you don't have evidence, it's because you love something else more, period. That's why you don't believe. And it will take a miracle. Remember the rich young man? He just walked away. And Jesus said, how hard it will be for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And they all grabbed their heads and said, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, with man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So I'm praying right now that that impossibility, that miracle would be wrought in this room for any who think they would believe, if he stepped up right now, sat up, stepped out, that you'd believe when your heart right now is in total rebellion against him because you, you, you idolatrously love something more. Money, success, sex, fame. So I join John Levy and Carol. I join John Levy and Carol and every true believer in this room to say this one of a kind death validated by this one-of-a-kind resurrection through this one-of-a-kind person who is more beautiful, more valuable than anything, is by this person offered to you now freely. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me, whoever lives and believes, like Mary in me, not like Judas, like Mary in me, will never die.
So Father in heaven, I'm going to listen one more time here to your appointment in, in song and going to lift up our voices later. I'm going to eat. And I pray that you'd be doing your work by your word through the risen Jesus and by your spirit. In his name I pray. Amen.